you have these, you know, hard iced teas. You have these where they're trying to do this liquor, beer. Hard kombucha now. No. Yeah. No. Hard kombucha. You can get your fermented tea on. Hello, friend. You're listening to the Edited for Content Show, a place where we try to understand a topic by extracting truth from theater. If you like this podcast, let me know, share it, and come back again. I want to welcome to the show, Andrew Brown. Andrew, thank you for coming. Thank you, Earl. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm honored. Um, I'm I feel privileged. I I hope I can do you and your listeners justice today. Oh, I have no doubt because let's face it, of all the topics that you know I've had so far, this is this is the one that's going to get people's attention. I can feel it because we're going to talk right? beer. We're talking beer. There's there's so much <laughs> to be excited for. Um whether it be the imbibement that one can enjoy from consuming it or the um I guess the satisfaction of solving a puzzle to make it. And I have to tell you that. So when my father was alive, we grew, we had like six grape vines and we grew grapes and we did make wine, but beer is a whole different animal. So I, I agree. Um, I would argue though that wine is a little bit more complex than uh, beer and so much so that to make the same amount uh, would take longer with wine than it would beer. And there's this running joke amongst the home brewing community where um, they ask the question, what do winemakers drink when they're waiting for their must to brew? <laughs> I'm assuming beer. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's ready. <laughs> Exactly. And you're absolutely right. It does take, it's a long time, man. It takes a long time. I'm very impatient. (laughs) Well, and I can, and I will tell you that it was a labor of love and, but I, to me, it's, you know, it was more, I think of just my father, it was fun to do it. My dad, he was, you know, he was in his late eighties doing it and, you know, he was, he'd get all excited when we'd have to rack it and, Cause he, you know, he'd see the progress and he'd get excited, you know, and stuff. So I, it was more of a father son thing. I will tell you that after he passed away, those vines went away like the next day. Oh no. Oh, they were bringing back. No, 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 man. They were no between the, so first of all, I live in Arizona. Okay. So I'm growing grapevine. I'm keeping grapevines alive Alive. in Phoenix, Arizona. That effort and the bugs and everything, so it was, no. I had caterpillar, caterpillars that would sting me on a regular basis. Mm-mm. No, no. I would rather the iguanas and the lizards that I are bigger than me than those. Right, exactly. So they had to go. All right, so tell me about it. How did you get into brewing your own beer? <clears throat> um, There was uh or is um like a, a men's magazine style website where every couple of days they feature a few different items um like look at this folding knife here or look at um this 
mega yacht that was made by Lamborghini for one of their sons. And they would go through the litany of items that, you know, scream masculinity um, with respect to style and culture. And one of the items that they covered was um, the Brooklyn flea market. This um, up and coming store called the Brooklyn brew shop where they would sell these kits where you could make your own beer and they were brought to light because they um, scaled down their kits. Most home brewers, when they start um, brew in five gallon um, batches and that takes a lot of liquid, a lot of space, a lot of energy to bring to a boil and take through the entire brewing process. These folks um, scaled their recipes down to one gallon and packaged a whole homebrew kit around being able to, you know, use the pots that you have in your cabinets and your apartment stove to be able to make 10 bottles of beer. I got excited by the idea, shared it with my wife, who sneakily decided to go balls to the wall, all in on all of the kits that the little mom and pop shop that turned into like um, it was the the coming of age story for any business where they started in the flea market. This company recognized them. They started to get more business and they turned into an e-commerce business and were able to supply to a greater group of people. And um, wrote a book about home brewing with a series of recipes, and that got me um, hook, line, and sinker the Christmas that my wife decided to get the kit for me. Um, so it was my wife that um, got it started after I noticed it and mentioned it to her. So to me, that's first of all, I love that you know she was on board. But how much can you make with a gallon versus this five-gallon thing? So it's about 10 bottles per gallon. Um, oh. if, you're, if you've got your efficiency on par, um, a gallon of beer is 128 ounces. Um, you figure about 11.7 ounces per bottle, and then you end up with an ounce or so of waste. Um, but yeah, about 10 bottles to a gallon. And then for a five gallon batch, you can imagine between 48 and 50 <laughs> bottles, depending on the amount of waste that happens naturally. That, that, and that's, that's really a lot. <laughs> that's a lot right? of homebrew. <laughs> right. That, that's a lot of beer. And the exciting thing is, is when you start finding guinea pigs to taste your beer, and then those guinea pigs end up, you know, following along on your journey as you um, progress in capability with respect to brewing beer. I often say that my guinea pigs lie to me just so that I'll give them, or I'll keep giving them beer, and they keep telling me that it's good. <clears throat> oh, that makes sense. That, it does. Do they like? So, do you make a batch of one, and desire to make like different flavors each time, or do you kind of stick towards the same thing? Or how does that work? The reason why home brewing to me is it's exciting is the processes that are involved with coming out with 
um, the end product. The history of the processes that are involved with coming out with those different products. So when I brew, I try to brew a different, something that pre presents a different type of challenge. Um, so I remember I'm not a big fan of the um, pumpkin ale, the pumpkin spice beers. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so in an effort to pay homage to the traditional style of brewing and how one would create a fermented beverage in honor of those uh, sugars, I decided to take a new brewing approach and bake, um, I can't remember the name of the type of pumpkin, but bake, bake pumpkin with brown sugar and then take that resultant mash and put it with my brewing mash to then have the enzymes that convert the starches from the grains into sugar, convert the starches in the pumpkin into sugar to then make a beer from that resultant liquid. Um, <clears throat> I got that idea from a brewery called Dogfish Head um, Brewing, where that's how they make their pumpkin or P-U-N-K-I-N it tastes a lot better in my opinion if you ever not have an opportunity to taste it although they're out of delaware and i'm sure <laughs> most beers would die before they make it to the desert oh for sure yeah and you know and yeah and and i you know i have to be honest that when it comes to and i, I say flavored beers but i mean i know there's so much more to it than that but for me there's like specific brands and there's specific types. Um, one of the biggest ones I have problems with is like for me, and it's a texture thing for me. It's not so much of a flavor as a texture thing for me. I don't do well with like your heavier, thicker, like micro brews. And sometimes with homebrew, it seems like the ones that I've experienced are a little thicker and a little, um, You know, they're just there's a lot more consistency to them, and mm -hmm. and and I just I don't know I have trouble with them, but like you're talking about these flavors like holidays like um, the summer shanty right like okay you know that like I like like that kind of that lemonly or lemon I guess it'd be lemon or orange flavor. So um, the the shanty supposed to be a, a beer and soda water combination. Really. I had no, I didn't see, I didn't know that. But, but I, I know the taste that you're, you're talking about. It's, it's refreshing. It's one that you would probably enjoy after mowing the lawn. Um, but it's still got a, a tinge of warmth from the alcohol from it all. Right. Right. Yeah. So, cause like, and cause there's like honey beers and there's like spiced, like, and, and the other thing I want to know is the difference between like a mead versus a beer because it's different right they are and in in the world of home brewing beer the way in which a home brewer makes wort is one of three ways that usually comprises a single ingredient and that's um malt um or yeah malted barley mm -hmm. the process where you create a sugary substance and um, 
attach yeast to it. That sugary substance, depending on where it comes from, carries a, a different name, and then its resultant alcohol carries a different name. So your question with regards to mead, mead is fermented honey, so it's just essentially honey and water mixed together that's fermented. Um, fermented apple juice is cider. Um, our favorite one is fermented barley, which is beer. On the homebrewing side of things, you can either make a beer through uh, what's called malt extract, where the malt is put through a factory process to extract the sugars from the starches contained within the partially germinated um, seeds and made into a syrup, or that syrup is then made into a, a powder. The home brewer then um, collects some an amount of water and then mixes that syrup with the water and then adds um, hot pellets to add bittering. Um, so much like uh, if you've ever made Kool-Aid, I don't want to say tang because it comes pre-sweetened, um, but Kool-Aid where you would add um, sugar and lime, it's the same action of adding the flavor of malted barley or honey or apple and then um, souring it a bit. But the heavy beers that you mentioned, I am familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the same boat where I, I don't want to feel like I'm carrying a dumbbell in my tummy after I get done with one glass of beer. And I've had those beers where they're 11, 12% or they're almost as thick as molasses and mm -hmm. so dark that you can't see through or have, um, or they're just so overwhelm overwhelmingly sweet that puts that little tinge in your dimples. Oh yeah. I would, I would say that there's much the same as there. There's so many different styles of beers that one is able to find what style um, lends himself to something that's enjoyable. So hearing you um, remember a shandy in a favorable fashion, I would be quick to recommend a cream ale or a session IPA to mimic um, that taste, that light refreshing taste that um, still carries a hint of, you know, you're drinking a beer. Right. Yeah, you're exactly. Not, you're not eating a, a chocolate bar or you're not burying your face in a um, bag of coffee beans. Or... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the first one that comes to my mind that's even remotely close is this one called, it's literally called Moose Drool. It's from, Moose Drool. It, it's from Montana. Um, <laughs> it's no joke. It, <laughs> it's, it's thick and i mean really really thick and it's yeah and with coffee beans or ground coffee that's like a great analogy because it's essentially that's what you're drinking um and it's and don't get me wrong i mean it's not that it wasn't flavorful it's just a it's a consistency thing and for me it sounds like you know and i'm really wildly impressed because in wine, I mean, we talk about like specific gravity and, and different things, but you're talking about this true chemistry and how different things interact with each other to get a desired outcome. 
You're listening to Edited for Content, separating truth from theater. So when you're making your brews for your guinea pigs, kind of what do you start with a base and what kind of where do you want to head with what you're making? It is a long process to decide what I'm going to make and usually involves a lot of back and forth with my wife about what I should make. And it often ends with, um, well, no, it doesn't. As of late, I've slowed down on the brewing front. When I started, I would brew every other week. Now it's maybe twice a year. Um, but the last batch of beer I brewed, I decided to brew for our baby shower. Oh. The beers that I decided to brew, I decided to be, um, I guess, uh, I significant to each of us as individuals. Um, my wife is from Wisconsin, and I'm originally from Kingston, Jamaica. And... For my wife, I decided to brew a cream ale, which is a light, low-alcohol, lightly hopped um, beer with a smooth finish. She doesn't like beer very much, and I felt that it was a good representation as to the type of beer that she would like, and also a good representation as to her skin color. (laughs) For, (laughs) For the other beer... I decided to brew an English porter, which is um, a (laughs) dark chocolate roast, light, refreshing beer Um, because it was closer to my skin color. In um, making both of these beers, I wanted to do um, a... I wanted to make beers for a black and tan mm-hmm. where you could layer each of the beers on top of each other. And then this resultant drink would be symbolic of uh, our son that we're going to have together. Oh, I love it. So great idea, right? I thank right. you. Great. Wonderful idea. In order to accomplish the feat of having one liquid float on top of another, you have to make the specific gravity of one liquid greater than the other. Correct. The way you control this is by controlling the types of sugars that are made present for the yeast to consume when they're turning them into alcohol. You control this by controlling the temperature of the mash when you're converting the starches into sugars. The higher the temperature, the more complicated uh, sugar is for the yeast to break down and the variation that one can attribute to the taste that would result as a result of that chain breaking. The lower the temperature is the less complex or less strains of um, the sugar breakdown. The goal was to mash one at a higher temperature than the other. Um, but reality had different plans for that. And 
<laughs> they both came out the same. Oh, and no. for all of my my um, baby shower goers who tried to mix them together, or layer them rather, ended up mixing them together. It still tastes good because I, I put some um, stupid specifics into my beers to make sure that they're not ones that would end up down the drain. Mm-hmm. But um, that was the... The reason why I decided to go that route is so I could make a black and tan. Right. And the reason why just making a black and tan is so complicated from a production standpoint is because there's this level of precision that me as a lonely old um, Papa Joe in our backyard with a five-gallon glue thermos can only have so much control over the temperature. Mm-hmm. And you're in, I, first of all, I applaud the, the concept because as I'm sitting here and as you're describing it, I'm like, that's really a unique and amazing thing. Right. I'm so excited. I was so excited. And then when I, oh, you gotta be (laughs) kidding me. And I bet you were just, yeah. And the bad part is that you don't know until you're done what you got. I mean, you don't, you, you know, it's. You're committed at that point and then then trying to put it together. Um, if your wife's from Wisconsin, then she will completely understand because the shanty that I like is Leinenkugels. Oh, okay. Like I'll that's give them a pass. Yeah. Like yeah. Th- yeah. I mean, I like, you know. I mean, and in my so my wife's from the upper peninsula of Michigan. Okay. So it's Wisconsin <laughs> what I call a Wisconsin adjacent. <laughs> right? It only what was it? It was maybe three years ago that that clicked for me. I I don't know why, but for the longest, it just I. You mean to Wisconsin just let them have that portion? Is that how that happened? <laughs> it's across the lake. Yeah, I know. It's oh. weird. I know, I know, and it's in in. But like I like we fly into you know we fly into Green Bay, we fly into Appleton. Um, I've had to wait for flights coming out of there and usually whatever they have on tap is they'll have some sort of line of Googles and it's really like I've had the canoe paddler and I've had the, the summer shanty and I've had, you know, and it's just, to me, it's just a really, in that moment, it's a really great beer, but again, it's, you know, it's, it's so different. So when you said your wife's from Wisconsin, I was like, oh, then she'll understand. Just tell her I like lighting Kugel. It totally makes sense now. <laughs> but I find it interesting she's not really a beer drinker from Wisconsin. Right. No. Um, Sprecher's root beer. That's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she'll drink an old-fashioned um, on, on a fish fry. Oh, yeah. Fish fry. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I'm. I am not a fan of Sprecher's beer. Um, I will drink their sodas until the cows come home. Yes, love that. Um, but their beers, I, they, to me are syrupy, and you, you hit it home with me when you were mentioning that about having that syrupy taste in other people's home brews. Mm -hmm. I find that that comes from the use of syrups in your brewing. So whether you're using um, the malt extracts or the, the dry malt extracts, 
the liquid malt extracts or the dry malt extracts. And oftentimes when I go out into the world and go sit at a brewery and drink their beer, I can taste whether or not they they do that oh, their yeah. beer. And this homebrewing infatuation is a blessing and a curse in that I get great satisfaction out of the work that I put into making a beer. But now I'm cursed because when I go someplace else, I can taste the work that somebody put into the beer. And if their work ethic doesn't match mine, then I, I, I pass judgment and I shouldn't see. And I was just going to ask, how do you go out and enjoy a beer or even let's go back, even choose something to drink it socially when you have this knowledge and you have this standard, like how can you even function in society now <laughs> so i on, on when i go hang out at a friend's house i often get oh shit andrew we only have miller light and uh presidente sorry we don't oh. have any fancy beers I'll, I'll drink a miller light i will drink a case of miller light i i don't have a problem with regular beer um american light beer i, I can still drink that but if I were going to an establishment that um, is a brewery and is or a, a bottle shop, I go after the types of beers that I would drink that are craft. So mm. IPAs, cream ales, lagers, pilsners, colch. Um, I, over the course of time, I've come to learn that I don't like dark beers. I'll I'll taste sours, but I won't commit to a whole pint of a sour beer. Um, there's this one trend of the milkshake IPA. Uh, IPA is made with vanilla. Those I I'm I'm good with those. I don't need those. There's another group of trends where it's the dessert beer, and I think these are the types of beers that oh. might touch on the the syrupy end of the spectrum but <clears throat> they're the high alcohol you know barrel aged um sat on 20 pounds of coffee for three years type of beers that would go great if you were eating cake or ice cream or girl scout cookie yeah and i well and i but i that's it's interesting that you bring that up because and i'm I'm probably a little older than you. And I, I think back when beers did try to start kind of branching out into really kind of odd things. And I say odd things because the first one that comes to mind is Zima. Um, oh, which, which, <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't even know what that was, but, but over time I have found it interesting where like you have these, you know, hard iced teas. You have these where they're trying to do this liquor beer. Hard kombucha now. No. Yeah. No. Hard kombucha. You can get your fermented tea on. No. No. Don't. No. Come on. Really? Yep. Oh, that's so not a thing. (laughs) It's just not. (laughs) That's not a thing. Like, um, I was at the store the other day and I actually saw a 
strawberry lager. And I had to stop and collect myself because I really just kind of wanted to lose it right there in the aisle because there has to, somebody has to stop this. There has to be a stop to this because I think there's just some things that are not, it's, there's a fine line. I mean, you can be creative and make things, but you kind of, kind of draw the line somewhere. There's marshmallow flavored beer. There's cotton candy for crying in the mud. I mean, I I had a, a sweet potato casserole beer from Funky Buddha Brewery. It it, it was delicious. I, Come I on, really? It was yes. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm gonna have to judge a little bit because I have a feeling that when you ordered it, you were kind of like, I don't know how this is gonna go. And I have the- a biased opinion because I used to work for that brewery. Oh. And- I know the ethic that goes into the beers that they make. And while they do make types of beers that I'm good on the ones that I do like, I, I do enjoy. So I, <laughs> the, I guess the whole essence of homebrew is that one can make whatever they want, right? Because mm-hmm. they're the ones that are making it. And these breweries are ones that evolve from those types of people that decided that. I'm going to break boundaries and make stuff. When I first started getting into home brewing, I was infatuated with this brewery. They made a maple bacon coffee porter. I had no idea what it tasted like and would only go off of what people said in YouTube videos or um, posts or comments. And I was so infatuated that I went to um, our local butcher and ordered uh, pork belly so I could fry it so I can get the essence of bacon mm-hmm. in the beer because people are talking about the smell of bacon. Um, fast forward to a couple months later, I end up getting a job there as a keg washer, as a as a hand. I would feed the mill grains or work on the bottling line. Nothing, nothing too intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was my second day there. They were getting ready to brew the batch of maple bacon coffee porter because they have a whole festival for the release of it. And one of the brewers comes to me and says, Hey, Andrew, can you grab the bags for maple bacon? I'm like, I I don't know how to make it. Oh, he whips out a pad of post-it notes and starts writing down the recipe for maple bacon coffee porter and hands it to me. (laughs) Oh, Okay. Needless to say, there's no bacon in the um, recipe. Their recipe calls for the use of smoked malt, applewood salt, and uh, maple extract. They tell you that it's maple bacon coffee porter, and because all of those um, keynotes hit those items in your mind, Mm -hmm. you tell yourself that you're tasting the sweet smell of bacon and maple all mixed together and nuzzled down with a warm cup of coffee from the alcohol warmth. Um, but when I realized, one, they were so willy-nilly with their recipe, two, um, they have this sorcery trickery that's completed with just the play of um, flavonoids through the combination of all of these natural ingredients. I... I, I, hook, line, and sinker. 
with that with that group. Oh yeah. Wow. Well and I <laughs> I come I applaud you for like legitimately like I'm gonna get this legit bacon flavor. I'm gonna do this. I right? like I can right? <laughs> It was disgusting. I have, don't put bacon in your beer like that. It doesn't work. <laughs> well, I know, but I applaud you for trying. Like, why not? I mean. How else am I going to get the bacon in there? Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine. So, which this brings me into the next question. Of all the stuff you've made, what has been the worst flop in the biggest success? worst flop was the first beer that i made the company i mentioned makes a kit called the everyday ipa kit mm-hmm. very simple one gallon kit um when i left jamaica and i came to this country there's a high school competency exam it was called fcat in the state of florida and they were big into teaching kids how to pass the FCAT. So they would teach kids these different processes on test taking. One of those items was RTFQ. Read the full question. Us being kids, we would replace the full with other uh-huh. things. But that always stuck with me. And I would only remember it when I realized I didn't do that. And with respect to that, when I got my first kit, I didn't read the entire instructions so i didn't know i was supposed to filter out the hops before i put the beer to ferment needless to say the hops that should have only spent a couple of minutes in this massive liquid spent two weeks in it (laughs) i didn't know that it wasn't supposed to do that and that was the first beer that i tasted that i made and your face sucked in upon itself (laughs) yes and this is when the first guinea pig lied to me and said that this was the best IPA they've ever had. Yeah, they were lying. (laughs) Why is it green? Oh, wow. Um, Best success. The best beer that I brewed was a tropical IPA. Mm. And... I think the only way that I can describe how it tastes is if you imagine a cartoon bunny taking a bite of a blood orange and juices are just going everywhere and the bunny's no longer white and there's just blood orange juice drizzling down his cheeks. Oh, it was good. Yeah, it was. Yes, it was really good. So I have to ask, are you a red stripe man? So the second best beer would have been the the red stripe clone that I made for my nice. rehearsal dinner. Nice. Um, that beer I decided to make as another challenge because at the time, red stripe used rice extract syrup to add to their beer to dry it out and give it an extra kick of alcohol Mm -hmm. i'm not a big believer in syrups as i'm not sure if i've told you about my hate for syrups i think you've mentioned that okay good um so in order to get the same um sugars the the sugars that are made from rice starches i took sushi rice Mm -hmm. i 
ground it down to powder. I then added that powder of sushi rice to the mash of grains right when it got to a temperature where an enzyme in the grain converts starches into sugar. Because I now essentially made powdered um, sushi rice, which is very gelatinous, the process that I normally use to filter out the the porridge that I make to convert these starches into sugars mm -hmm. is now clogged with gelatin. Oh. Um, so to get the, the sugary water out, um, I had to do it in small portions and it was, it was very labor intensive, but I did it and it came out great and everybody loved it. Were they in tiny bottles or were they in full size? Bottles? No, no. <laughs> I so after I don't like after making so many batches of um, one gallon brews, I would have to bottle each of those brews into bottles. It got monotonous after a while, and storing bottles and cleaning bottles and then doing the capper, and I didn't like it. So eventually, I upped my um, brewing capacity. And I started to get kegs. And that beer was one of the first beers to go into a keg where it was just one big bottle. And then I didn't have to mess with sugar. And I could just put it on gas and then be done with it and then serve it out of the tap. Oh, and that's it was perfect nice. for the rehearsal dinner because then everybody could just grab and go. Oh, that's really nice. And how long does it usually last if you do it in a keg versus... Like, is there a difference in the time for keeping as far as bottles versus a keg? Will it last longer in a keg? There isn't. Um, in the sense of homebrew, there isn't really a difference. The I guess the only argument would be that in a bottle, there's light coming in, whereas in a keg, there is no light coming in. Mm. Um, but the amount of, I don't know, For, forgive me, because the area that you're discussing is highly debated in the home brewing group. And I realize for the context of our conversation, it's not that important. But I feel for the home brewers that are listening, they <laughs> would also want to argue the importance of the difference. So to answer your question, it's more likely for uh, a home brewed liquid to last longer in a sealed pressurized keg because of its light deterrence as opposed to a sealed pressurized glass bottle i love that i asked the hard-hitting questions that are going to cause an uproar that makes me feel good as a human being i just want <laughs> you to know that i if i can cause a riot in the homebrew community i'm in <laughs> being a novice and not knowing anything and be like just well hey which is better it's kind of like going in the comic book store and saying, who's the best superhero? I'm looking to rumble. <laughs> so, right. The... <laughs> So-and-so is the best superhero. Prove me wrong. Um, <laughs> the, the way that I went about learning about homebrewing was through forums. So the I, I worked a overnight shift um, dispatching road rangers on a on a highway and there was not much going on on the overnight shift. So 
whilst twiddling my thumbs, I would re read these um, forums and see that back and forth banter where people who are new would ask that question um, or ask a myriad of other questions and then see individuals who want to share their experiences and provide responses get into those tiffs where it's like, no, you can keep homebrew for at least two years in the glass bottle, but if you put them in a keg, mm, no, because you got to put that on pressure, and then what temperature are you going to be storing it at? Yeah, and is it going to be in the garage? No, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. There's, I, I hear it, even in the instance when people, my, my friends ask me questions about beer, and I want to give them the whole gamut so they can make a decision on their own by me just telling them everything that I know about it. <clears throat> but oftentimes I am left to argue with myself about the, whether or not it's actually necessary. <laughs> well, I love it. Um, last thing I want to ask you um, is what is the next evolution for you in your brewing? Like what is, is there something you want to tackle? Is there something you're looking to do? Because um, I know you said that it's kind of a long process for you to determine what you want to do next. So what is that next evolution for you or what's that next creative thing that you want to do with your brewing? The automation. So um, I was mentioning the last beer I brewed was the, the black and tan situation. And the complexity that brought me to that idea was being able to control temperature with a level of accuracy that isn't common for a brewer like myself. So getting automation um, to tackle that for me. Um, there, the way that I brew is by um, taking a pot of six gallons of water, heating it to 160 degrees, dumping it into a cooler that's been preheated with another pot of water that's also filled with mashed grains. Once it's filled, I keep it there for an hour and then dump the resultant liquid into an empty pot, wash the grains that are left over with more hot water, and then boil the liquid that I collect while adding hops at different intervals. At the end of an hour-long boil, I take that entire liquid and I run it through a heat exchanger to rapidly cool it down to a temperature where it's safe for me to introduce yeast. And I transfer that resultant liquid into a dedicated conical fermenter. That fermenter goes into a refrigerator that holds a temperature that I set. So the portion of that process that I'm looking forward to is the the brewing processor. I update that to where I'm not the one that's moving six gallons of liquid from one vessel to another. And another level of automation that keeps the whole five gallons of liquid at a set temperature so I can achieve the perfect enzymatic conversion of starch to sugars. And then another level of automation that <clears throat> manipulates and moves the liquid from one container to the next to where I can go and brew them. Um, these are the types of build-outs that 
you would see have their own featurette on HGTV if they ever showed a home that was built out with these types of things. But <laughs> that's that's my next you know lottery dream. Have a ten thousand dollar brewing rig in my home. I love it. Well, you know what, and and it sounds like I, at some point you probably will have it because it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Oh yeah, I, you know, it's gonna you're gonna do it. I have no doubt. Um, and I love that you. I'm somebody who, if I was making something of that nature, and I was as passionate about it as you are, <clears throat> to have that level of control where you could actually do a black and tan consistently and without fail. Um, I think that's great. I think that's amazing. Andrew, <clears throat> you are just a fountain of brewing knowledge. You are so great. You are welcome anytime to talk beer. And I highly expect to hear from you when you do get this um, massive system. Yes. Because I want to hear about the successes out of this new system. So you are more than welcome to come back and talk anytime. And we'll talk beer. Um, we'll talk shanties. And we'll talk um, <laughs> We'll talk about um, shanties. And we'll also talk about um, my desire to not drink kombucha beer. Which at this point I'm just kind of like, I can't get past that. I just can't. hard kombucha. If you're gonna see it in the store, and you're, Earl, you're gonna think of me, and you just grab one, taste it, let me know how it is. I'm eager to find out without actually knowing myself. <laughs> see, now I have to give you mad props because you have sucked me in to be one of your guinea pigs without actually having <laughs> to brew anything for me. I'm impressed, man. That's that's a talent. That's an absolute talent. It's my pleasure, Earl. Andrew, thank you for your time, buddy. You take care. Thanks for having me, Earl. Thanks. Bye. All the best. You've been listening to the Edited for Content podcast. Again, if you enjoyed it, let me know, share it, and come back again. Thanks for listening, my friend. Have a great day.